0: And as you're grabbing your seats, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through nine this morning. As you know, uh, Paul is addressing the practical application of what it looks like to live out your faith in Christ in relationships with other people. A couple weeks ago, we talked about marriage and husbands and wives. And then last week, he addressed uh, the relationship between parents and children. And then this week, he tackles um, a topic that all of us at some point in our lives have interaction with, right? Most of us, on a regular basis, so he's going to talk to us about work. All right, and specifically um, our attitudes towards work and, and how we should view it as both an employee and, and maybe an employer. And for some of you, maybe you're, you're in the middle. So, uh, most of the people in the room, you have uh, some kind of employer or uh, boss. Uh, others, maybe you are the boss or you are the owner. And, and like I said, some of you have the distinct privilege of being able to lead from the middle, right? So, you've got some people under you and you've got some people above you. And so, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. In Is work and how uh, we should view work and the attitude we should have about it as followers of Jesus Christ. But before we get going, I want you to think for just a moment uh, to yourself what was the worst job or the most challenging job that you ever had? Can you think of something? Yeah, I see some heads out there. Some, some, folks, are, some folks are nodding. Uh, one of my least favorite jobs when I was uh, growing up, I got a job at Dillon's. It's a grocery store down in Wichita. Some of you may or may uh, be familiar with that. And uh, in order to be able to have the privilege and the honor of, of checking everyone's groceries out on the inside, you have to start in the parking lot, Right? And so I had the awesome opportunity to be a, a cart gatherer. Any other cart gatherers at any point? In your, man, look at that. L- listen, Fellowship of Alayna has supported some, some people with the cart gathering, right? And you know if you've done that, it, like the policy was this. If it's not lightning outside, then you can get carts, all right? That was pretty much it. So it was like rain, snow, shine, about three months of the year, It's not that bad of a job, actually. It's pretty nice to be out there in that good weather. It's the other nine months of like snow and sleet, and then it's a million degrees in the summer. And and no matter what's going on, you still have to go outside, get those carts, and bring them back in. So that probably wasn't one of my uh, most favorite ones. Um, We spent five years in Dothan, Alabama, and one of the things that happens down there is a lot of people raise chickens for Chick-fil-A, all right? And so they'll build these gigantic... Chicken houses. I mean, they are huge. They smell wonderful too. No, they don't. They they are terrible. But they build these gigantic buildings, and this is crazy. Like like Chick Fil A provides the, the the feed, and they provide the birds. Right. Your only job is to get them to large enough to experience delicious chicken at Chick Fil A. Like that's your number one job, right? So what happens is these trucks show up, and they they just give you like tens of thousands of birds, depending on how many of these buildings you have. So we had. A couple of families in the church that had buildings large enough, like 80,000 chicks or 100,000 chicks. And, And so they would give them to them this big. And like I said, within like three or four months... Three or four months, they're big enough to ship back off, and you experience delicious chicken. I don't know. Some of the younger people in the room were like, "That's how this works." Yes, it is how that works. All right. So I'm sorry to give you that that picture in your mind. But there was there was several men at church that they ran these chicken houses, and so I was a student pastor at the church. So they would frequently come to me and say, "Hey, do you do you know anybody who's looking for a job, like a part time job?" And what they were looking for was people who would get up very very early. I mean, it was like dark thirty in the Morning, right? And every single day, their job was to walk these gigantic chicken houses and collect all the chickens that had died the night before. Yeah. You talk about a fun job, right? And again, we've already we've already agreed upon the fact that, like, even live chickens don't smell great, right? And so you add in the mix eighty thousand birds, and and as they grow, you know, the, it, it's harder for spaces. So that's what that's what they would do is they get these these young teenagers, and for minimum wage, you would get to go collect. Dead chickens all day. All right. So uh, maybe you had, maybe some of you are like, I had a job like that too, right? Like, so it wasn't cards, but it was something like that. Or maybe for some of you in the room, uh, your worst job or most challenging job actually had nothing to do with the actual work right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like, maybe it had more to do with the people that you interacted with, right? Or maybe it was the people that you worked with or for. And that's true as well. And I think because of those things, we have the tendency to view work as some sort of punishment, right? In fact, most of us would say like, like that's probably a result of sin and brokenness in the fall in Genesis chapter three, right? But it's actually not Contrary to popular belief, work is not a punishment from God. In fact, in the creative order, God established work as a good thing for Adam and Eve, right? Now, what makes it challenging now is because of sin and brokenness, we do experience all of those challenges, right? So the the punishment wasn't work itself. The punishment from God was that in your labor, you will now toil. The things that used to come easy won't be. It's going to be more difficult and more challenging for you to provide all the things that you need to provide. And so that's where the punishment comes. And also as a result of sin and brokenness, what else happens? Our relationship with other people has been fractured and broken. And so now you add those two things on this. And a lot of us, have an experience with work that isn't always that great. But Paul is going to take a moment this morning to challenge us about what our attitude should look like in regards to work as followers. Of Jesus Christ, okay? And so that's where we're going to be heading, all right? So we're going to see how Christians should view their work. We're going to see how we should, uh, what our work ethic and our attitude should be. And we're also going to see how we should treat those that we work with and around and those that work for us this morning, all right? So let's read together Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5 through 9 and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll unpack this together and see the challenges that Paul has laid out. So starting in verse 5, Paul writes, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. All right, let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to open it together. God, I pray that it would be uh, a challenge to all of us. God, I pray that we would, um, God, see um, what we need to see in this passage. God, I pray that those of us that are employees somewhere, God, we, we see what we should uh, be doing, God, to glorify and honor you in everything that we say and do. And God, for those in the room that that lead other people, God, I pray the same for them, God, that they would see. Lord, how the ultimate goal for for them as well is to glorify and honor you in everything that they say and they do, God, how they treat people and how they lead people and how we interact with those that are around us, God. And so I pray that you would guide us and lead us in this time. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right. So uh, let's look back at verse five real fast, because I think there's some so there's some work that we need to do here to understand cultural context and why I'm going to be applying it to our cultural context as employee and employer. But some of your translations, there's, there's three basic options here. Some translations translate this slave, others bond servant, some simply servant. Now I'm preaching out of the ESV and the ESV says bond servant. And I like, that they use bondservant here because the word for slave or doulos in the Greek is one of those words that can have a couple of different meanings and the meaning... Is, is given to us based upon the context around it, right? And so what we see here in this context is Paul is addressing a group of people that he calls bondservants and a group of people that he calls masters. And this is in the context of the church. Remember, this book is written to the church in Ephesus. And so the assumption here by Paul is that both of these people are present in this room, Right, So as they would have received this letter, they would have read it together out loud. And so the challenge here from Paul to them is is together. And so he's assuming that they're both present. So for most of us, when we think of the word slave, we have a very particular idea come to mind because of our own cultural context and experience with that word, right? First century, what we're dealing with here in Ephesus is different than what we're used to with that word. That's why I appreciate that the ESV uses the word bondservant, all right? So this is kind of limited servitude here. So it's not the same thing as slavery like we have in our minds, right? Because that would be wholly controlled by or maybe even owned by somebody. And and that's not the context here. Now, that word is used in that context in at least two other places in the ESV. And I'll share them with you. One is Romans chapter one. Where Paul says that he is a slave to Christ. So Paul's recognizing to Jesus, I'm wholly controlled. I, I, I'm, I'm, I belong to him, right? So that's that, that context. And then also Romans chapter 6, we see that Paul uses this in regards to sin. So he says, In our position, apart from Christ, we are slaves. To sin, right? Like we're wholly controlled by sin. We're owned by sin. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 2 as well, right? And so so there's an interpretation based upon that context with the word do loss as far as slave. And then there's bondservant, which is where we're at today. Like I said, limited form of servitude. You can check out 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 21 through 24 to get another time when, when the context means more bondservant, all right? But so that's good for us to understand here because I want to Make sure that we, we have the, the right thing in mind when we go to apply this to our own lives, all right and there is a lot of application for us today, like I said, because of the, the use and the context here of bond servant master like, like, we can apply this to our lives in an incredible way because like I said, most of all of us in the room we're an employee, right We have an employer. We have a boss. Some of you in the room, you are the boss or you're the owner. Some of you in the room, like I said, you're, you're, you're trying to lead people from the middle. You've got people on both sides of you. And so this is good for us to understand today because we can apply this directly to our lives as we interact with those in this working relationship. All right. So we're going to take some time now and we're going to work through verse five through eight. In verses 5 through 8, Paul begins by challenging uh, the bondservants first, right? And then in verse 9, he's going to challenge the masters. So let's start with the bondservants and and those that would have been under someone else's authority, right? And we see that because in verse 9, he says, Obey your earthly masters. Remember, that's to carry out or execute orders, right? So he said, you're under someone's authority, all right? And so, under someone's authority, how are you to um, live out your, that work relationship, right? So, what he's going to ultimately challenge us as we go through this, you'll see is that everything goes back to glorifying Jesus, right? Like, that's the answer to why we should do all these. So, every verse in verse five and six and seven and eight, all of them, there's an element to this where Paul says, and the reason why I'm challenging you to have these attitudes is because the ultimate goal is to glorify Jesus Christ in everything that you say and everything that you do, even in the work environment, all right? And so that's what we're going to look at here. We're going to see all the things. So Paul's going to address four primary things here. And So um, let's just go through these one at a time. All right, so first one here. We glorify Jesus when we work with an attitude of respect, all right, an attitude of respect. We see this in verse five, in the very first part of this, where he says you're to obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, all right? So the idea here is one of respect or reverence for that person that has authority over you. So he's saying in that relationship, if you've got somebody that has authority over you within that relationship, you're gonna honor and you're gonna glorify Christ by being respectful of that person, right? And and, and that's a, it's a deep challenge for all of us, right? And so there's a couple of things that I want to uh, help us further unpack this with. So what does that look like for us? Like, what does it look like in a working relationship to show respect, right? Here's a couple of challenges. The first one under this is that we're to respect that person's authority and office. We're to respect that person's authority and office. By office, I mean where they're at in the org chart, right? That title, right? Uh, we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Peter says something very similar. He says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable, right? Anybody ever had an unreasonable person that had an authority over them in, in a work environment? somebody that that didn't treat you well, somebody that didn't deserve your respect in return. Paul's saying, even if that's true, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're to respect them, and you could respect them by respecting their authority and their office, right? The Bible has a great example of this. There's a story in Scripture about King David and King Saul, right? And there's a moment in time when the people want a king, right? And They call for themselves King Saul. Now, we know that Scripture teaches us that God's king is actually uh, David, right? So so God is trying to lead them to David being the king. And so there's this time where Saul is still the king, but David becomes the king in waiting. So he's, he's just a shepherd boy who is is the heir apparent of the throne, right? Like he's just waiting his time. And there's this moment where Saul is angry at David and he's, he's chasing David all over the place and they get to this like really funny story actually in scripture. It's very serious but also funny where um, David and Saul find themselves in a cave together, right? David's hiding and Saul Saul's doing something else, okay? And, and so they find themselves in this moment where, where David has every opportunity To just take care of Saul once and for all, right? But David decides not to act on that opportunity. And why does David decide not to act on that opportunity? The Bible tells us because Saul was king. That's a good example for us of what it looks like to revere and respect somebody for their office and their authority, even if they personally don't deserve that respect. At the very least we can do is respect them. You guys know how this plays out too. You know that. In 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 our in our cultural context. like, Like I think of President of the United States. Even if that person is somebody that you're like, man, I don't know if I could follow them or believe in them or respect them or what like you're going to, as a follower of Jesus, because you're a person that recognizes the importance of respect for authority and office. Even if that person isn't worthy of that. Next thing on here, you can respect them by respecting their orders and their assignments. That, that's what he says to obey. Like, listen, if somebody in the workplace has authority over you and they give you an assignment or an order, you're to carry that out. I mean, as long as it doesn't break God's word or the law to carry that out to the best of your ability, right? And that's the challenge. That's, that's demonstrating respect. Instead of sitting around going, that's not how I'd do it. No, I don't don't know if I'm going to give this my all because that's not the way that I would do things, right? No, but you can honor and respect that person by respecting their orders and their assignments. And then last but certainly not least here, respecting policies and procedures. To respect policies and procedures of both the person with authority over and even your employer in general. But you can demonstrate respect there, and we see that where Paul challenges us to obey and do it in a way that we have an attitude of fear and trembling or respect and reverence, right? Number two, we see this also in verse 5, the, the latter half of verse 5, 5b, five and that is we glorify Jesus when we work with an attitude of devotion, all right, an attitude of devotion. If you look at verse 5 at the, at the end there, what you're going to see is he says, not only respectfully with fear and trembling, but with a sincere heart as you would Christ. That There's an element of devotion here to this person, right? And, and he's saying, as you would Jesus. So you're going to demonstrate a level of devotion here. Again, that's not tied to their, their deserving of it. But, but tied to their office and authority here. And so he's saying, as a follower of Jesus, you're gonna glorify God when you respond this way with devotion. So a couple of practical things for us as we think about how we would live this out. Listen, we can, we can demonstrate attitudes of devotion by being people of character that are trustworthy. Right? We demonstrate devotion to a boss, to an employer, to a company, by being people of character that are also trustworthy, right? That, that demonstrates devotion to them. We wanna be known, known for who we believe in, right? I mean, the last thing that you want to be true of you is to be the guy at the office that everybody knows claims to be a Christian, but isn't a man or woman of character. They can't be trusted. That, that doesn't demonstrate devotion there. Next thing under here is that you'd be a hard worker, You can demonstrate an attitude of devotion by just being a hard worker, right? Not not a slacker. Drives me crazy when I look around places and 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 see people with that kind of attitude, right? I I just want to. There's been a couple times I'm honest. I, Lord, you got to help me right now. I'm gonna smack that phone out of their hand. Like stand up. You're in uniform. You work for somebody right? Like, like, like show respect, show some devotion to, to this being meaningful to you, right? And then that's one of the ways that we can do it, by just being hard workers. Right? Next one I have on here is wanting the best for your boss in workplace. That's how you can demonstrate devotion, wanting their best. But thinking in terms of that, like, like I, I always want it to be true that, that whatever I'm doing is making my boss look good, Right? And I and just look at to. I want to keep things off of their plate. Especially the negatives from, from, from me. All the things that I'm in control of, but also at the same time wanting the best for them and the workplace. Well, that's something that's that's going by the wayside. People don't understand that kind of stuff. That this this place is owned by someone else. And and we're to be good stewards of that, right? And, and wanting the best for this place. That means, like, doing things that, again, not slacking, so you're stealing, you're stealing time from your company, or even being those people, like I said, that lack character, where maybe you're stealing other things. But we were, we've been to several places, you know, over, over the years where, like, you go and you, you order something, and they're like, here, just here, have another large Coke. You can, here, have three. Have one for the whole family, right? Not my deal. Like, man, that's, a, that's not a good attitude to have as a believer, so we're going to demonstrate hearts of devotion, Last one I have on here, man, this one's tough. It really is. It's very tough to live out, and I'll explain here in a, more, in, a, in a second, but devotion. We can demonstrate an attitude of devotion by being willing to help others around us, develop others around us, and give away wins to other people. Listen, the reason why I say that's hard is we live within an environment where the workplace is full of people who will step on other people to get to where they want to go. It's a a very selfish environment. And I think as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to, to, to be different, and we can demonstrate hearts of devotion in this by being willing to do that, to help other people, develop other people and give away wins to other people that we wouldn't be known as a user of people. But that we would love other people and support them and, and be there for them. And man, listen, like, like just be the kind of person that like doesn't have to take credit for every idea. And all the other things that happen within the workplace—I know that's hard because, like I said, we—it's—it's it's an environment that actually encourages, encourages you to use other people. Listen, you don't want to—you don't want to just be the nice guy, right, or the nice lady. If you ever want that promotion, and listen, what Paul is challenging with is something quite different. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't see ourselves as a user of people, but instead we should. Demonstrate attitudes of devotion and be willing to help develop and give away wins. Number three, we see this in verse six. So verse six, he says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So he talks about the fact that like there's a, there's an outward component to this, but again, there's an inward component in the heart, in the attitude. We talked about this last week in the relationship with with parents and children, right? Like we all know that that there's a way to obey outwardly, go through the motions and actually do the stuff, whatever you've been told to do, and then there's, there's also the same opportunity for you to inwardly not honor, right? And that's what he's talking about. There, there's, a, there's an outward, and then there's an inward, and that's what he's challenges in here in verse 6. He said, listen, do this not by way of eye service as people, please, not just an outward component, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So there's an attitude here that we can, we can demonstrate. And so I put on here cheer and enthusiasm. We can glorify and honor Jesus in our work if we have the attitude of cheer and enthusiasm, right? That, that we are joyful people. Like it, it's not just the outward uh, motions, right? We're not begrudgingly doing these things, but instead we have, we have an overflow out of our hearts and who we are and that, that, that we create environments and cultures at our workplace that people want to be a part of. That you're the type of person that, that people want to be around. Why? Because you're encouraging. You're uplifting. We talked about this in the first service. Listen, it's really, really easy to find people who are negative. But think about your own workplace and your own culture and your own environment. Like it's really, really easy to find those people it's much more difficult to find the people that are uplifting, right? And you know when you've been around and they make you feel like a million bucks, you know what I'm talking about? I know you know what I'm talking about. Like you've been inside a Chick-fil-A before, right? You know how like, like you've got people in there working that somehow like, like they, are, they are convincing you that they believe this, right? That they have a, a genuine attitude of service. Some Right? And where they fail, Culver's does even better, right? You've been to Culver, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, you feel like a million bucks. Like, is this like a luxury steakhouse or what? You're like walking in, they're like, let me get the door for you. And, and they're bringing you all the stuff and make you feel less bad about yourself for eating a double or triple bacon cheeseburger and then washing it down with just a gigantic ice cream. But you feel like a million dollars in there, right? So we're talking about a culture and an environment that you can help create with your attitudes. On the flip side of that, you've also been in any mobile phone store. (laughs) Right? And by your laughter, I know that you have been inside one. That's that place like I sit outside in the car and I'm like, Jesus, help me (laughs) to not lose my witness and go to jail today. Right? Because they're gonna try to tell me something that all the rules changed and that it's normal to pay three hundred million dollars for two lines. (laughs) And and so it's it's about attitude and culture and environment that you're creating, right? You've also been in line to, to get new tags at the DMV and things like that. So it's like like there there's something that we can help with here. And just like the the boss thing, the the environment thing is true too, even if you work in the most miserable place on earth, you as a believer in Jesus Christ should still be the most joyful, cheerful, enthusiastic person that that place has ever seen. Why? Because because you're you're not taking orders from circumstances or environment. You have something different. That is on the outside. That impacts and affects attitudes. So let me challenge you with that: with to have an attitude of cheer and enthusiasm, not begrudgingly doing what you have to do. This was my life verse, Colossians three twenty-three. For a while, I had the the privilege of of having a job in in uh, in the plaza here while I was going to Midwestern before, and it was one of those places like we're talking about. That man, it wasn't. It wasn't so much the work itself, but the people that I had to work for and with that sometimes made it much more challenging. And Colossians, I'm I'm not kidding you. You can ask Aaron. Colossians 3.23 became my life verse as I worked at that place. God helped me to be a gospel witness here every single day. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than than men, Like Jesus, no matter what happens here today, no matter what interactions I have with other people around me, no matter how poorly I might be treated, help me to remember that today, my attitude, my work, everything that I might accomplish has nothing to do with these people, but everything to do with you. Became a life verse for me, so I get it. But it's the only way that I was able to do that with joy and cheer and enthusiasm on many days. So trust me when I say, I I, I get it. So if you're finding yourself in one of those environments, lean into what Paul's challenges with here in this. Number four, we find in verse seven. Verse seven, he says, knowing, in this sense very familiar, knowing that whatever good anyone does, or excuse me, I'm sorry, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. All right, so that sounds very similar to that Colossians 3.23 passage, but he talks about rendering service, all right? A, a willingness to serve. That's what it is to render, to render service. So not just, not just serving because I get paid or I have to do this so that I get that check, but you're, you're, you're rendering service. Again, it's about an attitude. Right? And if you're going to render service, it's going to require you to die to self. Right? You, you've got to die to self so that, so that you can serve other people. Right? So he, he challenges us with that, to serve. and We must empty ourselves of our own will, so die to self. And we've got the, the most excellent example of this. Right, I mean, this is Jesus Christ the King of kings and Lord of lords, God himself. As Pastor Brian said earlier, if you were to establish a kingdom, how would it look? And what would your expectation be of the people under your authority? It would be to serve you, right? In most cases, that's how we think in human terms, but God Almighty flipped it on its head. We talked about that verse not too long ago. The Bible says that he didn't come to serve or be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So so Jesus has been our greatest example of what service looks like, a willingness to die to self, not make everything about us, and and be willing to focus on those people around us, right? And then this is my favorite part, I think, of of this whole passage. Look at verse 8. This isn't a particular exhortation or challenge, but it's a reminder. And it's a powerful reminder to all of us. Listen, just listen to verse verse 8. Knowing... That whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. What's what's Paul saying here? Paul's trying to help us understand in all of this that that if we do these things, if we seek to honor and glorify Jesus by, by having these attitudes that we've talked about, then we can trust that the Lord sees and that he knows like, so let me remind you, if you're in the room this morning, God knows, and God's got you. I think of Joseph in Genesis, right? He's sold by his brothers into slavery, and he goes into Potiphar's house, and what does he do? He just does these things, right, with these attitudes that Paul talks about. He glorifies and honors God and Christ in everything that he says and everything that he does. He's a hard worker. He's respectful. He's willing to serve. He's willing to give up his own stuff. Like God told him something else greater is in your future. And he didn't, he didn't pout about any of this. He trusted the Lord through all of it. So let me remind you of that this morning as well, that God sees and God Knows. And if you would do these things, if you would do these things, I cannot guarantee that you got that big promotion at work. But what I can guarantee you is that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords cease. And he'll take care of you and give you all that you need, not only in this age, but the age to come. Verse 9 go through this quick He turns to masters now and he kind of summarizes this whole thing up and this is fascinating to me that Paul does it but he says masters do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him so a couple of quick things, three things real fast in regards to those with the authority now. He turns, he turns his attention to them and he says, listen, lead with mutual respect, devotion, cheer, and service. Right? He says, do the same to them. Like, like live this out for them. Like we said, the greatest example is Jesus. And he came to show us what servant leadership looks like. So if you want to lead well in your workplace as a boss or an owner or wherever you find yourself in there, if you've got some people under you, listen, you need to be a servant leader. You need to lead out in this. Show mutual respect, devotion, cheer, and service. It's the golden rule, right? Treat others the way that you wish to be treated. Number two, lead with love and dignity. Lead with love and dignity. Listen, lead in a way that allows people to flourish. Lead in a way that allows people to flourish. Same is true. You don't want to be known as the the Christian employee that's not doing what they're doing. You also do not want to be known as the boss or the owner that knows Jesus, but is a terrible person to be around and work for. So, so remember that, lead with love and dignity. He says, and stop your threatening. Think about how you treat others. Don't be cruel in, in the way that you exercise authority. Love people, show them dignity. Listen, be, create the kind of culture that people wanna be a part of. Be, be a part of a culture that people don't want to leave. I mean me and Travis were talking about that one time. He said, you know, I've always heard it said that people don't leave jobs or, or places of work, right? They leave bosses. That's probably true. Because the work might not be great, but what's gonna make it unbearable is an environment and a culture that you can't stand to be a part of. And that has more to do with relationships and how you treat people than even what you're asking them to do. Number three, lead knowing God shows no favor. Listen, what, what he says here at the end of this verse, he says, knowing that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. He saying, listen, in God's economy, God doesn't see your org chart. Right? So so adopt the same thing. Lead in such a way that that you don't either that like like you don't show partiality. Listen, as a Christian boss or owner, you you should treat the, the highest person on that org chart the same way as the lowest. That's the kind of culture and environment that you should be building and, and demonstrating for those around you. Be known for your love of Jesus Christ. Create those cultures and those environments. And I absolutely love that about God, right? That he does show no partiality. God's desire for all people is the same. Whether you're, whether you're a bond servant or, or a master, it, it doesn't matter. God's, God's desire for you is a relationship a personal relationship made possible through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's what's so excellent and so wonderful about this, that in this room where this text is being read aloud to the church in Ephesus, the highest ranking person in the room and the lowest ranking person in the room have one thing in common, and that's they both have access to the king. And God desires That relationship in whole with both and offers salvation to both of them freely as a gift. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for the challenge that we find in your word, God. And we we pray that as we seek to apply this to our lives, God, that you would be very specific. God, wherever we've been general, wherever your your word has been general, God, I pray that you would apply it very, very specifically. God, maybe there's somebody in this room, God, that they've just been struggling with people they work with or the person they work for or maybe the people that they're called to serve. I pray that this morning would be an encouragement to them. pray that you'd remind them that, God, at the end of the day, everything that they say and do and accomplish is to glorify and honor you. And they can take rest and comfort in those those things. God, maybe for others in the room, the challenge this morning, God, is to lead in such a way that you are an example and that people would know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because we love so well and we, we create environments that people Know that they're loved in. God, I pray that you just challenge each and every one of us here too. God, if somebody in this room this morning doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they recognize that that's where it all starts. And God, you show no partiality. This gift is offered to every single person. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.